Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome everyone to episode number 8 of Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden, a 50-year retrospective, the early years of the WWWF, the WWF, and the WWE. Madison Square Garden, the mecca of professional wrestling, a building that every wrestler wanted to wrestle in. We record one show a month to coincide with the 50th anniversary of a wrestling house show at Madison Square Garden. And to help us look back... At all these shows, a man who went to every wrestling house show at Madison Square Garden for five years straight, starting in August 30th, 1971, Mr. Wrestling, John Arizzi. How you doing, John? I'm feeling old when you put it that way there, <laughs> my friend. 50 we, years ago, April of 1972, and now we're in April of 19, 2022. I'm feeling my age there, buddy. 50 years, 50 years. Yeah, we both, you know what's so funny about this? At this point in our lives, we're going through more stuff off the scenes than we are on the scenes. So we get to this podcast as soon as we can. Last time we talked, you weren't going to be going down because there was no spring training yet. And between last time we recorded and this time, there was a spring training and you had to actually go down with your uh, with your nephew to spring training. I did. It was a, it was really a lot of fun and we were able to put together once the lockout was settled and they new uh, C, uh, I guess what they call a collective bargaining agreement was negotiated. Uh, they slapped together a spring training and my nephew was able to get out of work. And I'm like, all right, I'm driving down there. And I was there for a week with the kid. And, and we had a wonderful time. Got a chance to uh, say hello to Eddie Cranepool, my all time favorite player. Got to see five games, ate at the wonderful Italian restaurant, Tutto Fresco. Uh, but the unfortunate thing, speaking about getting old, is that we have been going for so many years. Mm -hmm. So you see the same people every year, the same season ticket holders, Joe and Mary in front of us, Bruce, the usher, the prize wheel lady, all of these people that we've developed friendships with over the years. And uh, we get down there. We find out that they're dead, literally. Oh. I mean, uh, people passed away over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, there were older folks or whatever, but you go down there and it's like, you know, the prize wheel lady's dead and Bruce the Usher was dead. And he was such a funny guy because he used to wear his pants almost up to the bottom of his, uh, his, his, uh, his chest. And he had this old baseball cap and he used to stumble around, but it was good. It was always good to hang with him. And, and then the women who's sitting back of us who have been there for so many years, 
told us, this is our last year. We're not coming back next year. Oh. Uh, and I'm like, wow. They said, you know, we'll give you a deal of a lifetime. Do you want our seats? So I have sixth row behind the Mets dugout. They have seventh row, but their row only has four seats in it. So I may go ahead and take those for next year. But the sadness was crazy. I mean, just to, you know, just kind of say, you know, life is so damn precious. Uh, so, uh, you know, we get to enjoy what we do here, you know, looking back 50 years on wrestling. But uh, spring training was a lot of fun, but just a lot of sadness when all these people that you knew were not there no more. How many years have you been going now? Uh, myself and my nephew, I think we went for the first time in 2008. And wow. he only missed 2020 because of the pandemic. But before Dominic started coming, I was going probably two or three years previous to that. Uh, so I've gone, I think, 16 or 17 years consecutively. Wow. And, and you know, that's really something with the pandemic. I, I think it brought uh, light to everyone thinking, you know, when you get an opportunity to do something, do it because you may not get another chance. I agree 100 percent. And that's why next year I, I made a vow that uh, even if my nephew can only join me for a week, uh, depending on where he's working, what a vacation is, I am planning on going down there and spending an entire month. Mm, nice. Nice. Uh, every game. And you enjoy it so I much. Get, I got to do it. Yeah. And you enjoy it so much. It is it is the, the, the rite of passage for you, John. Every spring, John goes to Florida and he enjoys the spring training. And, and you look at the Mets and you say, hey, they may go all the way this year. And then you come home and you realize, you know, reality sets in. But the, for that spring, for that spring, it's it's a good time. Yeah. Yeah, right now the Mets are looking good with the new manager, Buck Showalter. And, uh, when the show was the way, taped. I, when the show was taped, they were looking good. Let's just say that. When we take this episode, well, they were looking yeah, good. yeah. But still, I mean, it's uh, they're looking good. And, and uh, you know, that's the thing. I already have my schedule made out for the next five or six months. So they're going to take up three or four hours a day. Uh, for me. And I, you know, uh, the older you get, you know, when I was younger, I'd switch around channels, I'd do different things, I multitask. Now I'm just riveted at every pitch and I watch every pitch of every game. Call it old, call it whatever you want. That's what it is. And that's what I'll be doing. And uh, by the way, uh, I think you know about my baseball podcast now, right? Yes, we mentioned it last time. You want to give it another plug? Yeah, it's up and running. We have two episodes out there with John Gibbons, the former manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, Stu Stone, who is a filmmaker and uh, uh, has a great baseball documentary out uh, that was on Netflix called Jack of All Trades. So the three of us uh, are getting together uh, almost on a weekly basis to talk baseball. And it's called Fan The Fanagers, F-A-N-A-G-E-R-S. Uh, we crossed out the M for managers and we put the F in there because we all kind of are fanagers. We're not managers, but we're fanagers. And John Gibbons is the real manager, so we're having a we're having a lively discussion. So no matter where you get your podcast, look for the Fanagers, and it's gonna make you laugh. And you're gonna hear Gibby, who, if you don't know him, he's a straight shooter. He lives in San Antonio, Texas. He's an old school guy, and he he's just a baseball lifer. That, that's that's awesome. If you want to find more about more out about it, you can check your book out because you talk about John in your book. Oh, yeah. John, one of the forwards. He was my roommate in uh, Shelby, North Carolina, 40, 41 years ago. Uh, but yeah, John uh, wrote one of the forwards in the book, Matt Memories. And it's available no matter where you get your books. You could pick one up and you could read about my crazy life, man. 
That's awesome. And of course, uh, this show is not possible without your help. We are able to bring you this show free every month because of your support of Patreon, our Patreon account, patreon.com slash John and Rizzi. Not only do you get to hear this episode free, and it's a great companion piece for this podcast where John adds wrestling artifacts and we talk about Matt memories. Uh, so if, if, you, if you see something or you hear something on this podcast, you could be seeing that in the Patreon at patreon.com slash John Rizzi. But that's not all, John. There's plus there's more stuff on there. Yeah, the, uh, the Patreon account right now, patreon.com slash John Rizzi. I mean, we have all of the archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show from college right through April of 1992 with another three years of shows going to be uploaded. I also uh, just started to upload some old newsletters uh, you know, because we've been talking about my breakup with Vince Russo and how all that happened in 92 and him putting out his own newsletter without me. And uh, so I have that up there now. I have the last newsletter we did together and I have the first newsletter I did by myself. Uh, we have a really uh, interesting audio of Vince's first uh, uh, solo radio shows called Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling, which debuted in May of 1992 so uh we're going to upload that on those days that those shows aired uh there are photo sets there are eight millimeter films there are really cool different audio bites and audio sound from uh the 70s through the 90s uh what else can i say i mean there's just tons of video and you know for five bucks a month it gets you in the door uh, other levels of 10 25 50 and 100 and the more you uh, participate as a member, the more stuff you get. I love it. I love it. Patreon.com slash John Arizzi. Join the community. Hear the history. And speaking of history, let's uh, let's start our show talking about Madison Square Garden. I did not know this until Richie told me this. Madison Square Garden, at this time that we're talking about, Madison Square Garden was the biggest indoor arena on the East Coast. And the WWWF ran a lot of big buildings. They ran, besides the Garden in New York, they ran the Boston Garden in Washington, D.C., the National Arena, uh, Washington Coliseum, Philadelphia Civic Center. Pittsburgh Civic Arena, New Haven, Connecticut, Baltimore Civic Center. During the summer, they ran uh, Atlantic City Convention Center, which was more like a mid-sized building. And then, of course, don't forget about the gymnasiums, the armories they ran. So this was, back then, it was a different atmosphere because a lot of the shows, like today, the money is made today on TV, on merchandise, on pay-per-views. Back then, it was all about putting people in the seats, John, and it was a cash-only business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and them uh, controlling, I mean, it was a territory. Uh, uh, the wrestling business was territorial back then. So Vince McMahon had the Northeast Territory and all these arenas that you mentioned were uh, under his umbrella. I mean, he had the exclusives there and no one else was allowed to promote wrestling in those places. He had a, a vice grip on him. But yeah, they uh, all the TV shows that aired, all of the tapings were specifically to push the heels and the baby faces create the feuds. It was almost like a commercial for, you know, let's go see the live events. And what I used to love about it is like, you know, that they used to cut the interviews for all these arenas and they'd put them in the same uh, segment in the show it would be after match two. Then you'd go to the interview segment and, and that would talk about, all right, Madison Square Garden, April 17th, let's talk to Pampero Furpo. And, and then they'd cut that. And then they'd say, all right, we're at April 19th, we're going to be at the Boston Garden. Let's bring on Pedro Morales, who's going to face whoever. So they did that uh, across the board. And then they uh, edit in those uh, specific interviews 
and they'd ship them out to the local TV stations. In the opening match, something interesting they used to do is like when the bell rang for the opening match, they'd cut the sound down and then they'd throw in an audio soundbite. Our wrestling fans, don't forget, Madison Square Garden is coming up and we have 18, you know, big stars. And I mean, so it was a system. It was a it was just it ran like clockwork. Wow. I did not realize they you knew exactly when that was happening. I remember watching. um, Well, if you're from New York at the time, it was Channel nine. I think it was on Mm -hmm. um, midnight on when when I watched it, it was midnight on Saturday. It was after the trotters. The race racehorses yeah, yeah. from Aqueduct, and I did, I remember hearing you know, like during the match you'd hear someone jump in and go coming to you know uh and it wasn't the Madison Square Garden shows it was a lower card you know like it was right. you know they were going up in, into Connecticut or Long Island or things like that yeah. that's what they would be talking about during that well during this era that we're talking about I mean they ran on Channel Forty Seven WNJU which was the Spanish station. Uh, and they ran uh, two shows a week. One was on Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock, I believe it was. Uh, and then the other show ran over the weekend, and I think it was a Saturday slot. That was before the Channel 9. They didn't really get on Channel 9 till 75 when the IWA came in and bought that time slot right after the racing. And, and then when uh, McMahon was able to grab that slot, they stayed on Channel 9 for the duration. It was a mainstay. You can only watch wrestling after midnight. And if you're a kid, if you're a kid and you want to watch yeah. wrestling, you got to get permission to stay up late. Uh, right. let's, let's go back. No real, VCRs. No VCRs. No taping stuff. What? You know, we didn't even have beta then. It was terrible. No. God, we, we lived like cavemen back then. Richie put this down about the live shows I thought was very interesting. There were three different live shows in the WWF. You had your A show, which was like the world title matches. So it would be Pedro going around like to the Boston Garden or MSG, okay? And then you got the B show, which would be the Intercontinental title and the tag team titles, maybe. And then you got a C show, which would be like grudge matches or contenders. That would go to your armories or your high school gyms or the boosters. Now, I went to Walt Whitman High School in Huntington, Long Island. I saw two, two different wrestling matches at my high school, and they were B's and C's. I thought they were A's. I consider them being A's because at the time— I remember the first one I ever went to see, it was the, t- the the main event was Don Morocco versus Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Now, this is after the Madison Square Garden where Morocco saved the belt and in a steel cage. So it's coming to my high school. I thought that was cool. That was the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know what happened, John? You know what happened? Let me just tell you. Snooker almost won the belt. He, I swear, he almost won the belt. Now, looking back at it and being in a high school gymnasium that's packed with people, you know, during the show, you know, you're watching different matches, and it was okay, but when that main event came on, it was packed, wall-to-wall people watching this, and the pop of that gymnasium was amazing. For a gymnasium, watching this match, everyone was so into it. They were so good at that. Of course, the second time I went, it wasn't as good. It was a seam. It was like a grudge match. I think it was either the main event was uh, Iron Sheik versus uh, Ivan Putski, or it was Rocky Johnson versus Superstar Billy Graham. They were good, but it wasn't that like intercontinental te- match that was like really pop. And you left just going, oh, we almost saw the title change in our gym. It was so cool. Yeah, that was more in the '80s. You're talking about. Yeah, I saw it was probably '83. It was before Hulkamania. Yeah. It was before yeah, you know what they did in the '70s was they had little places. Uh, regular like the Sunnyside Gardens in Queens and the Brooklyn Roll Around, or at least in the in the in the uh, territory and in the area I lived in, and they had the Westchester County Center, which they ran as well. Uh, but they really started to expand in the '80s to more of that high school, those high school gyms. Because I remember uh, seeing wrestling at my 
at my alma mater, West Babylon High School. I saw Andre the Giant and Black Jack Mulligan, and uh, they were all at, at my local high school. Wow. I mean, way after I graduated, but yeah. I went to the show. Yeah. I think it was 80, 82 or 83. I, I can't even believe you're telling me that Andre used to go to high school shows. That's amazing. He was there. It was crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. And I remember I took pictures still. And okay, here's a little cool fact I never told you about. So I was working in Washington, D.C., probably around like the early 2000s. I was working in radio and The Rock finally had his first movie by himself, solo one. It was after The Mummy. It was called Walking Tall. And Mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't going to come to anybody's radio station, but he would let you come to the hotel. So they planned a whole junket at the hotel. So we went to the hotel, and we were in the lobby, and we saw other morning shows around there or afternoon shows go up. They come down, go up, they come down. And we were going up. And I I talked to the guy, the promoter. It was He's the movie promoter for the area. And I said, how is he? He goes, you're going to love him. He's fantastic. So we went up there. We sat on the couch, did a great interview with him and stuff. And after it was over, I said, here, I want to show you something. And I pulled out a picture that I took of his dad at my high school. And I must have been like at middle school at the most at the time. And I showed it to him. And he just smiled. And he was like kind of put a tear in his eye. He goes, now I got to call my dad. And it was really cool, you know, because it was a picture of Rocky Johnson. The picture so cool. What made the picture so cool for me was he's not dressed. It was beforehand, so he's you know he's waiting. You know, if you if you ever go to the high school shows, you can look over to the side and see wrestlers mm-hmm. watching other matches. That was yeah. another cool thing they did. Good memories. Yeah, great memories. And speaking of memories, let's go back. Uh, let's go back to last month for you. A couple of things I want to hit on from last month. It was your dad's first, and we find out last time going to actually a wrestling match with you. What was? What did he talk about about it when he got home and he talked to your you know to your sisters or to your mom about the match? What did he say? Did he say I don't believe he? I don't believe he, this kid does this. It was like it was in. He was out. He didn't like it. That was it. Uh, he took me to one other wrestling match, and that was just to drop me and my buddy off at Shea Stadium when uh, Morales fought San Martino. And he was like, I can't believe you guys are going to watch this crap. My dad used to call it the same thing. But what my father did when I started the Blassie Fan Club and the first newsletters were being printed by a a friend of mine uh, on the mimeograph machine, which is like just this antiquated, I mean, even just bleeding through. the. it, It was just horrible. And then he couldn't do it anymore. And then I couldn't get these things published. And my dad, who was working the overnight shift at Eastern Trucking in Queens, uh, they had a, a printing room there where they had these what they would call Xerox machines. And he says, maybe I could help you out with the newsletter. And it was a Xerox machine that you actually would duplicate pictures. It was a copy machine. And that just took the newsletter up from this this little shitty looking mimeograph uh, on pink paper or yellow paper or whatever to this crisp, clear. And I and I treated it like a magazine. I'd cut pictures out and put them in there. I'd take pictures and paste them in there. And it, it took the King of Men newsletter to a whole new level. And my dad did that for me until uh, the newsletter was done. And that was sometime, I think I published my last one uh, in early 75. I put out like a total of 16 King of Men issues. So my dad was there for me the whole time, even though he hated wrestling and only went to that one show. Good dad. Good dad. And that probably cost the company a fortune back in the day. Well, no one knew. (laughs) Of course. It was overnight. It was like he worked from like midnight to or I think maybe 10 or 11 o'clock at night to 7, 8 in the morning. And no one was in the offices, you know, and he'd, you know, he'd go in that room and he'd print these things up. And as the memberships got a little bit more, he goes, hey, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) there's quite a bit of paper we're using on this now. I was like, well, yeah, you know, the memberships are growing. And but he was so wonderful for doing that. And uh, I'll never forget him for doing that. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, that is very cool. Well, let, let's go back to that real quick. I was going to ask you in a minute, but let me ask you now. Back in, uh, we're talking December now, you got that permission slip signed by Freddie Blassie. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. probably after that sometime in January, you sent it out to California to make sure it was real. And Jeff this, Walton. Jeff yeah. Walton. And now at this time, you're trying to put together the newsletter. How did you find out like how to do a newsletter? Did you call anybody? How did you get in touch with people and say, hey, I want to do this newsletter. I got the permit uh, or the, the permission slip. How do I do it? Who did you talk to? Uh, it was they were all the wrestling magazines. Well, the vast majority of them had fan club columns where people used to promote their fan clubs. And and I wrote to Georgianne. Her name at the time was Georgianne Orsi, not Macropolis. Uh, Tom Burke had a column from Ring Magazine, uh, Jim Melby, Norman Keitzer, uh, those guys had uh, columns as well. And I, you know, and I started ordering a few of them, you know, sending the 25 cents or the 50 cents to see how these things looked. But I really didn't formulate what I was going to do with it. And it took me a long time to put the first one out. And the first one out came out uh, sometime in November of 72, issue number one. Uh, so, uh, it took a while, it took a while to do it. And, and, you know, and, and it was kind of like you're starting something as a 15 year old and you're like, well, how do I do this? I'm putting together, a, you know, how many pages, what do I write about? Uh, and it was not just blasty cause I'd put ratings in there and results from different parts of the country and, and feature stories and contests. So I kind of turned it into a really a fanzine, uh, with the focus on what was going on in Freddie Blassie's life. That is so cool, knowing that like you had no experience, and I think people do this still. They're like, "Oh, I want to jump in on this," and you jumped in, and then you were like, "Okay, I got to swim. I can't be sinking. I got to swim." And it takes you a while to do that. But congratulations! I know that like the first one you put out is now worth as much as Action Comics number one with Superman on the cover. Is that correct? It's about the same. Price. I don't even have a. I don't even have the first copy. That's right. Even, it was I have, stolen. I have maybe half of these. And they're all old, obviously. So whatever is going to be salvageable, once we get to that time period, I'll scan what I have and put them up for patrons. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I can't wait to see them. Let's start with, the, with these matches here. Uh, how did you get tickets again? The same spot as always? Probably Ticketmaster, Ticketron, rather, back then. Do you- uh, I sat in the same uh, area, the Loge. I didn't sit ringside. I didn't go back to ringside to the May show. Uh, and because I got tired of sitting in the 15th row and the people standing up and, and I wasn't really that serious about photography yet. Uh, but it changed in the May show when I took that bloody shot of captain Lou Albano, which patrons will get next month. Uh, and that was kind of like, wow, uh, I think I'm going to sit at ringside now forever. 
Okay. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I like how you talk about the loge because you don't always have to be ringside to have great seats for wrestling. No, this was the first level loge. I mean, it was really good. It was kind of on a little caddy corner. I remember the seats uh, well, and I did take my camera there. But, of course, the ring looked small, and I took a few shots. I remember I got a shot of Morales diving off the top road onto Curtis. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was taking a few pictures, but, you know, maybe one out of 20 was something that you would even want to save. I have a ton of those pictures, by the way, John. I have a ton of pictures like that from row whatever, and you're like, oh, yeah. I'm going to do this shot off the top rope, and it shows up, and it's all blurry, and right. you can't really tell. Eh, you learn it. Right. You learn. You learn. And back in the day, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this whole walk, and you shoot like so many shots, but you always have yeah. a few left over because you just were just in case, just in case, so then when you get home, you go, I got to use these because I got to get my film developed. Back in the day, that's how we did it. Yeah, and it was also financing. I mean, the money to buy film and then get the film and get it developed was also. I mean, I was, you know, I had odd jobs. I was a paper boy for a little bit, and you know, I think it was paid past the time for this. But I, uh, but you know, you work in a supermarket. You work, you know, you do whatever you can to make a little extra dough. Absolutely. And then I, and then I, you know, when I started going to Photomat, which I, if you remember, Photomat, it was a drive-through. You drop your film off and. Uh, where I, you know, actually met a, a, a girlfriend there. Really? Because <laughs> I used to go there all the time when I started taking pictures. I mean, uh, her name was Tara Murphy from Massapequa, and uh, she had a little blue Volkswagen, and I uh, was 16 or 17, and she was an older woman. I think she was 19, uh, and she worked, and she was kind of hippie-like, and, and she started like, you're here like two, three times a week, and, you know, and, and I just started. I used to, when there was a customer in back of us, <laughs> You know, I'd drive away, and then when that customer left, I'd go right back up there, and we'd start talking. And uh, I took her on, I took her on, uh, I guess, my first real, like, the re- a real serious date. Yeah, I took her, uh, I took her to a Broadway show, uh, and I took her on a horse and buggy ride in New York City. And a, and a meal at um, a place was called Mama Leone's, I believe, um, uh, in, in Manhattan, and, and ate in the wine cellar. Yeah. How much did this cost you? This is like a thousand dollar meal. Back then it wasn't, you know, but <laughs> she was very impressed. I'm impressed. impressed. And if you don't know what a photo mat is, okay, we have a lot of them here in LA, but they're not photo mats anymore because photo mats gone. Now in LA, they're uh, key places. So if you need your key done, wow. that's what they are now. But I, yeah, the little photo mats all over the place in, in different parking lots is so cool. Let's go to Madison Square Garden, April 17th, 1972. Attendance 15,559. That's about 6,400. 451 empty seats not a great crowd but we have something very special for you this episode yes and we talked about it earlier how you know watching these tv shows and stuff and john back in the day little johnny arizzi 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 am i saying it correctly say that however you want okay it's a resi a resi what, yeah. what do you think i changed my name to john alexander okay. and johnny. john anthony because a resi was so hard to say it is him. Little Johnny and Rizzy in his bedroom with his black and white TV and his little microphone. He used to put it up to the TV when people were talking about wrestling. Anytime wrestling came on, he put it up there. And we're bringing you right now. This is from April 7th, 1972. Vince McMahon telling us all about this card that we're going to talk about next. Hold on. Here we go. We have more action for you in Center Ring in just a few moments. But right now, let me remind you, Madison Square Garden wrestling fans coming to the Garden. Monday night, April the 17th, listen to the fantastic card. King Curtis gets a title shot at the Worldwide Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion, Pedro Morales. Professor Toro Tanaka goes against the very popular Victor Rivera. 
Pampero Purple faces Indian Chief Jay Strongbow. Smasher Sloan takes on Sensational Sonny King. Ernie the Cat Lad will face Handsome Jimmy Valiant. And Baron Mikel Sikora will be going against Rene Goulet. Don Curtis will be there against Mike Pedusis. And Manuel Soto against the Black Demon. Also, we'll have a midget tag team uh, there in the garden. Wow. Okay, I can't believe, first of all, that that is 50 years old, that you had it on cassette, and the cassette survived all this time. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of tapes that have not survived when I tried to upload them, but that one did. I have... A few. I mean, a, not an abundance of them, but that one was uh, the, the quality came out really good. And another problem I had back then was because I had a niece uh, who was one years old at the time and she was uh, crying. My little sister, Donna, uh, she was about seven or eight. She'd come in. My mother was always yelling. So I'd be tape, trying to tape wrestling and there's all this noise going on around me. So that that was a good moment to be able to get this audio without any uh, uh, distractions or interference. And I remember I used to do the same thing. Where you take a, take a tape recorder because we didn't have VCRs or anything at the time. So you take your tape recorder if you want to tape something and you put it up next to that little microphone, whatever it is, the, the speaker, your little microphone wouldn't even be on. You wouldn't have a microphone. It would be on the cassette player itself. Was yours like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a little, little microphone holding it next to the speaker of the TV and it was a little black and white TV. And because it was on UHF, not regular VHF, VHF, I mean, you have to use your UHF antenna, which every time you had to put, you had to twist it, you had to put it near the window, you had to maneuver it to get the best picture because it was snowy. And it was just, a, it was a challenge every week to try to even watch it. And that was one of the locals that you talked about earlier. That was a local thing they put on this. That one just played in New York on, on April 7th, mm -hmm. 1972. So I thought that was very cool. Thanks for finding out. We have a couple more coming up during the yeah. show. Uh, let's go to our first match. Sky Low Low and Little Brutus defeated Tahiti Kid and Sunny Boy Hayes. Two falls to one, 14 minutes and 57 seconds. Yeah, the you know the little guys were in there, and the you know the Sky Lolo and Little Brutus. Of course, I knew them from reading about them in the magazines. They were kind of legacy uh, performers, and T Tahiti Kid and Sunny Boy Hayes were the baby faces and uh, the good guys. But uh, the real uh, legends in, in that match, and they were kind of old uh, at the time, was Sky Lolo and Little Brutus, and they were just great. So entertaining, a lot of fun, a lot of comedy, a lot of acrobatics. So it was a good uh, good opener. And they're going to have a little competition, little people. They're going to have a little competition coming up with special attraction spots for the card coming up in the next couple of months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was going to be a little uh, distraction, a little something added to the mix when it came to wrestling at the Garden. Uh, match number two, Mario Soto defeated the Black Demon in 9 minutes, 25 seconds. Yeah, this was a uh, match that uh, throw away Manuel Soto, of course, a, a B-level performer, and the Black Demon, who had been around for uh, quite a while. I think his name was Tony Nero, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of a return match. Uh from November 17th, 1970, where they fought at the Garden. Uh, they went to a 20-minute draw. So, hey, this was the match, the rematch everybody was waiting on. And you had to wait a couple of years, but you got to see it. And uh, Soto defeated that Black Demon. It was What a feud. What you a know, feud. If the, observer, if the Observer was out back then, it would have been feud of the year. Easily, easily feud of the year. I'm just surprised it didn't sell out the Garden, but that's not here nor there. Yeah. Uh, let's go to match number three. Don Curtis defeated Mike Pedusis in 10 minutes 21 seconds. 
Tell me about these guys, John. I know they're older guys. They're veterans. They're a little past their prime. Well, yeah, they had wrestled. Uh, both of them appeared for many years. I mean, um, Don Curtis had a very famous tag team with Mark Lewin in the 50s and early 60s. I mean, they were one of the top tag teams of the era. Curtis uh, had uh, had his last appearance at the Garden. It was like February 26th of 62 when he teamed with Mark Lewin and he lost to Skull Murphy and Brute Bernard. Uh, Mike Pedusas, another old-timer, uh, he debuted in 1959. I was surprised to see those guys on the show. And But of course, for me at the time as a fan, it was like these are guys you read about in the magazines. And so you get a chance to see them, even though they're not even really on TV uh, on a regular basis or if at all. But, you know, McMahon Sr. was always somebody that remembered the people that worked even for his father. So, you know, he was always kind to them to bring them back for a garden payday. And, and they're a little bit of a pop because, like you said, you hadn't seen them in a long time or maybe you'd never seen them before live and you remember yeah. seeing them on TV. So, you know, they're not as quick as they used to be. But it's like, for example, the Rock and Roll Express are still wrestling. I would go see them for the nostalgic value because I love those guys so much. They're not the same tag team as they were in the 80s, but it's still good to see these guys again. Oh, absolutely. And Producers was somebody that, uh, you know, didn't have a big, big career. I think he had a 10 year uh, career from 68 to 78. And his uh, first loss at the Garden was May 20th, 1968, when he lost in three minutes to Ernie Ladd. But yeah, seeing those guys, it was kind of cool. It was good. Very cool. Match number four, Baron Miguel Sacluna, one of my favorite guys I ever met at one of your wrestling conventions, uh, defeated mm -hmm. uh, Rene Goulet in five minutes, 44 seconds. Doesn't seem like a long time, John. Rene Goulet, was he in the doghouse of the WWF at the time? Because, you know, I know Sacluna uh, gets the win uh, with after the title, after he had the title loss, and now uh, he has the belts. What's happening here with Rene Goulet? He's, I thought he was on his way up. He seems on his, on his way down. What's happening? Well, once the title was taken away from him and Carl Gotch, I mean, he knew what his place was going to be. And and Cicluna was somebody that was in favor, uh, maybe more than Goulet, because Cicluna had a really a strong relationship with Vince. And uh, he had wore the tag team titles uh, at the time. And and uh, so, you know, he he got he, he was put over. Uh, five minutes, 44 seconds. But, you know, I don't think it was a situation of Goulet being in the doghouse. It was just kind of like who was being pushed and. And, you know, of course, Rene Goulet had a very long, long career as, a, as an agent for WWE. Uh, yeah, I do remember that. Even back, in, I think he went all the way into the 90s or even past yeah, that. Yeah, he was in the Attitude Era for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, Baron Miguel Cicluna, Um I remember meeting him at one of your Mikel, Mikel. I'm saying Miguel. Baron Mikel I already Cicluna. heard. I got some people that, that wrote me about that. Tim. Okay, Baron Mikel Cicluna. There um, you go. When when he was at the convention, he had like some really thick bottle glasses. Oh, like, he did. Yes, yeah, he yes, did. I was just yes. wondering if back then, like, I don't know if you that maybe that's know. why he couldn't find those roll of dimes he was looking for all the time <laughs> in his trunks. He had to be, you know, he had to put his hand in his trunks and without, and and he was literally almost blind. And he spoke about that. And there was that was kind of a famous thing that this guy really had was nearsighted. He couldn't see distances. And, you know, and, and he was he wore them thick glasses. So um, uh, maybe that was why, uh, the you know, sometimes his hand got lost in his trunks looking for that roll of dimes. That's funny. And, I, and instead uh, he found a roll of quarters. Oh, oh, all right. <laughs> Keep the show going. Keep the show going. Match number five, Sonny King. Sonny Beach. 
No. <laughs> Sunny King, a little early for Sunny Beach. Sunny King defeated Smasher Sloan in four minutes and 45 seconds. Smasher Sloan, last month he was in, he came in, he, he's an old wrestler, and he lost to Bruno, so he continues his losing streak. Yeah, and Sloan was another one of those heritage guys. When he came back, even to face Bruno in that last uh, garden show, I mean, hadn't seen him in a long time, and he was a staple in the WWF in, in the 60s. And uh, I think his first garden appearance was in 64, and he was teaming up at the time with Waldo Von Erich, and uh, they beat uh, Morales, Pedro Morales, and Miguel Perez. Uh, December 14th, 64. Sloan was a tag team champion also. Again, another older guy coming back. Hey, we get to see yeah. him. Good good match. And and putting over, you know, Sonny King, who, uh, mm-hmm. Sonny King, I didn't know this, Richie wrote this in my notes. Sonny King served as Arn Anderson's manager in Memphis yes. territory in 82. Yes. Yeah, uh, Sonny King was a, a mid-card, sometime main event guy in other territories. And uh, he was he was he was over with the fans and, and people liked him. He was a good, good worker. Match number six, Ernie the Cat Lad pinned our guy, Jimmy Valiant, in five minutes, 58 seconds. Yep, uh, good old Ernie Lad. I mean, what an impressive uh, specimen this guy was. I mean, just uh, as tall as he was, almost seven feet tall, former football player, and it was always impressive to see him. And when you when he came into a territory and he was on TV, he was like, this guy can actually win the title. I mean, he's really that good. But he always had that little, you know, that little problem because he, he had a thumb injury, which really never healed. Oh, my. Kind of like Iron Mike Sharp and his arm injury. Right, right. And remember when Bob Orton Jr. had to cast for a long time? Of course. And, but, you know, uh, Ernie taped the thumb up. It was just his thumb. and But that was kind of his finisher. He'd, he'd go and hit the guy in the throat with the thumb. That guy would go down, and then he would give a knee drop off the second rope, and that would be a one, two, three. That was kind of the way he won most of his matches. W- would that work today, you think, the thumb? No. <laughs> kidding i like the thumb i'm still scared of the thumb who else yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Who, who else did it uh terry gordy used to do it he used to call it the oriental spike yeah yeah that's right no that was cool i i like i like those little kind of things you know but it, it wouldn't go over today i mean fans who would see that today who had no idea what we're talking about i mean would be like what the heck is this you know yeah. they're used to guys you know, climbing off the on the top rope and going through three tables and, and getting, you know, their head smashed in uh, on metal and the ring steps. And so the thumb to the neck would certainly not go over today, I don't think. And uh, let's look at Jimmy Valiant. You know, he, he was a definition at the time of a mid-carder. He was, uh, at this time in his career, mid-card guy, solid wrestler. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good, good performer. But, uh, you know, he was still trying to find his way and, uh, he was on the kind of on his way out, but of course he comes back in a couple of years with uh, when they formed uh, the tag team with his brother, not his real brother, of course, but Jimmy Valiant and Johnny V and Captain Lou, and they just dominated the tag team team uh, tag team scene for a while. They were the best best tag team I think I've ever seen. Very cool. Match number seven: Pampero Furpo versus Chief J Strongbow. And let's go back in our little time machine, April seventh, nineteen seventy-two, and listen to Vince McMahon interview the Grand Wizard and Furpo about their match at the Garden. Here we go. Also on the card is Pampero Furpo, represented here to my left, the Grand Wizard of Wrestling. Well, Vince, right now I am going to give you and every viewer a treat you have never had before. Let me introduce to you the eighth wonder of the world. And 
And the only reason that yours truly, the Grand Wizard, is here to, for this gentleman, he will not be victimized by the sharpshooters in this area, therefore I will be with him. But now you will hear words of wisdom from Pampero Burpo. I came to this part of the country after a long absence to destroy all my opponents. Next in line will be the Indian. What is his name? Hey, Strongbow. <laughs> yeah. I will scalp him and show his head back here. Yeah, Pedro Morales también en la vista. Temperal Purple, represented by, of course, the Grand Wizard of Wrestling. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great interview, uh, Grand Wizard Pampero Furpo. Let, let's uh, let's let's dissect this for a second. Grand Wizard, um, his voice changed. I remember him being more rasp like this and talking like this. Well, because he's probably smoked four or five packs of cigarettes a day. Okay, makes sense. So back then he was kind of a little bit more. Uh, and he was an announcer. He was a TV announcer for wrestling even before he came into the area and. Uh, but yeah, I mean, his voice was a little bit clearer, but he, it got very raspy towards the end. And Pampero Furpo, I, I don't—he should have trademarked "Oh yeah" before Randy took it because Randy Savage. Well, Randy is got it from him. Oh, did he? I, I wonder. You no, know, Randy Savage is always like a nice old school kind of guy. He had respect. He, do you think he asked him for it to say, "Hey, do you mind? I'm going to use your gimmick," or just took it? Uh, who knows? I, uh, I don't know. Right, we I'm should just... ask. We should ask uh, Mary, uh, uh, Furpo's daughter. Ah, that's good. We'll have to do that, and we'll put it on the Patreon. That's a good idea. Uh, oh, in the match, Pampero Furpo defeated Chief J Strongbow by a countout in six minutes twenty five seconds. Um, I don't understand this. Again, you know, maybe you do, John. You know, we're talking about Furpo going. You know, next month he'll be going against Pedro. So I understand the push. Um, I understand the win, but I don't understand the countout. Why didn't he pin J Strongbow? Strongbow didn't get pinned a lot. You know, he was so over with the crowd that he had a little weight with uh, Vince. And, 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 you know, he could elevate a contender for the title just by getting counted out or getting busted open and match being uh, stopped due to blood. But that was one thing about Strongbow and even Monsoon. You know, they'd lose when they needed to put a guy over and get a guy over for the championship push. But they rarely got pinned. That's interesting. I, I would think they so they were they weren't mid card guys. They were main event guys. Yeah, um, they both were, of them. They were yeah. right under the main eventers. They were right under the champion. Those guys, and, and they knew their role too. That's another thing that uh, compared yeah. to today, you know your role. Your role is to you're going to be at the company for a long amount of time. These guys get come in and out, help these guys go up the ladder, and when they're coming down the ladder, you can beat them up. Right. Exactly. Okay. Match number eight. Victor Rivera fought Professor Toro Tanaka to a twenty minute draw. 
Yeah, uh, nothing special there. Rivera, the high flyer at Tanaka, the ultimate heel with the karate chops and the salt and just hated by the fans. And Rivera was over really well. And uh, you could see this one uh, being played out as a draw. Uh, Rivera was very, very popular for a very long time. And a lot of people always wondered why he didn't get the world title. I mean, he probably had some issues uh, that, you know, we don't know about outside the ring. There was a lot of speculation about him later on. But and of course, he left the WWF uh, and bolted with the, you know, when he won the tag team titles, he just left to go to the IWA. But he it was a mainstay there. His first appearance at the Garden uh, was in 68. And he teamed up with Miguel Perez and defeated uh, Crazy Lou Graham and Guillotine Gordon. And then uh, two months later in 68, you know, Rivera beat Tanaka uh, by DQ. Uh, and you know, here was a uh, here was a rematch. Excellent. Hey, let's go back in our time machine one last time. We're gonna go towards yeah. the main event this time. Vince McMahon's gonna interview Pedro Morales and then Captain Lou Albano about the King Curtis match coming up at the Garden. How are you, Pedro? How are you, Vince? Well, other than being on the Westchester County Center show tomorrow, uh, let's talk about this match that you're gonna have in the Garden. You know, Vince, uh, I know this. I think this is gonna be my toughest match I ever have in New York. You know. And believe me, I'll be training special for this match because I was watching my man soon, my manager, the last time they got it, you know. And it's a shame what the coaches did to him, you know. Because, uh, like I said, I have a lot of confidence in me, you know, and uh, I'll be training special. And believe me, I, I wish all my good friends and all the beautiful people in New York coming to give me a little support because, believe me, I think I'm going to need it in this match. Well, certainly King Curtis is a formidable opponent, to say the least, and there's quite a bit of size differential there, too. You know, about this King Curtis, I understand, you know, because uh, some, I watch him uh, several times, you know, and believe me, you have to be very, very careful because uh, this guy, he picking up anything outside of that ring, you know, and uh, believe me, and especially when he's with... with, with Albano in there, you know. When you have Albano in that corner, you have to be very careful, too. Because, uh, like I say, I'll be training special, and believe me, uh, I will have a big surprise for Mr. Albano. I'm certain you will. Are you frightened of the match at all? You know, the gentleman's undefeated thus far, and uh, has a tremendous record. Well, uh, I'll be very lucky, you know, and uh, I say be very lucky. Because I know what I do in there, you know, I've been wrestling for for the time I was 16 year professional, and when you have a man like coaching, you have to uh, give 200% of what you have. Thank you very much, and the best of luck to you, Tim. This is Lewis. Uh, I tell you this, McMahon, I watched Pedro Morales, and I watched him beg, and I watched him crawl. He humbly died before the TV camera. He begged for mercy, but this is the Norvell. Here stands my champion, the mighty King Curtis. I am confident I'll be there in Madison Square Garden, and I'm going to watch my champion destroy, humiliate, humble, and drive the champion, Pedro Morales, right into the bottom of the garden floor. And this will be the finish of Pedro Morales. We will now have a new world champion. Champion, the mighty King Wow. Okay, we gotta dissect wow. this. This that was pretty incredible. First of all, let's let's talk about Pedro Morales. He said Monsoon, his manager. I, I don't understand. Yeah, Monsoon that. was his manager. Really? 
Like Skolan was Bruno's manager, Monsoon was Morales's manager, although Monsoon didn't accompany him to the ring uh, like Skolan did all the time with Bruno, but he was his manager. That's what he called him. And and when Morales was ever in trouble, if there was a pull apart or whatever, Monsoon would run in. Uh, but that was kind of an interesting thing that Morales used to say. Monsoon is his manager, you know. I, I did not know that, and I I, I like Pedro, a b- big big fan. But like, uh, he he didn't have the the talking talent as a champion would. Well, he said have. the same thing every month. Yeah, yeah. Morales basically had the same catchphrases each and every month. I mean, it would be like, "I'm ready for any type of action, Vince." He called them Vince, not Vince. Vince, I'm ready for any type of action. He used to clap his hands, hit his chest. I've been wrestling since I was 16. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope all the people come out to give me a support. Uh, I will do my very best in there. You got to be careful of Albano. I don't know why he do the thing he do. But it was like it was the same kind of rap. And then he'd start speaking in Spanish. And then, you know, obviously he'd be able to fully articulate what he was trying to say. But his charisma uh, in the ring, it doesn't matter what his promos were like. I mean, the fans just went crazy for him. And uh, but he would he would get annoying every month because it was the same thing. And and then when he'd get angry, sometimes he'd just be going crazy. He'd be banging his chest like he was a gorilla. And uh, and uh, but, you know, it was what it was for the time. And and he was a charismatic champion. So you had Pedro couldn't really promote it that great. He tried. And then King Curtis couldn't. And then you got to bring in the hype man, Captain Lou Albano, which I th- just listening to him got me so enraged. I want to go watch this match because I don't want to see King Curtis as a champion. Albano, I forgot how great he was. Oh, my God. Albano was the best. I mean, uh, and Curtis, I mean, the visual. So you got it. The visual was cool because Albano is the slob. Albano's with the shirt that's misbuttoned and he's got the little cigar in his mouth. And Curtis would come on camera and he'd be just and McMahon's face was kind of like, what the hell is going on? And 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 Curtis was so unpredictable. Uh, and he was scary. I mean, he was scary. Literally, he sometimes he'd come out with a piece of wood in his mouth or uh, whatever. He was just off the chart. And when you combine that with the mouthpiece and with the charisma that Albano had as a heel manager, there was nothing like it. There was nothing like it. And the fans went to the garden to cheer, you know, obviously the champion, but also to boo Albano and to see Albano get his butt kicked. And even if it's one shot to the top of the head, Albano knew how to take a bump. And Curtis was a great bumper as well. Curtis took incredible bumps. And Curtis's matches always turned into a Donnie Brook, a wild brawl, using everything he could get his hands on as foreign objects. Well, this is match number nine. WWWF World Champion Pedro Morales pinned King Curtis after uh, coming off the top rope at seven minutes and five seconds. Yeah, it was a crazy match. And I do remember it because it was wild from start to finish. Uh, Curtis uh, was shattering chairs around ringside and uh, he attempted to, uh, you know, hit Morales over the head with one. And uh, but then, you know, as typical Morales does. When someone has a foreign object, you give a guy a shot to the stomach and he throws the object up in the air. Morales picks it up, hits him in the head, climbs to the top rope, does that amazing flying body press off the top rope, which was really one of the best in the history of the business. Gets to one, two, three. The crowd explodes. Morales gets his hand raised in victory, holds up the, the Puerto Rican flag, holds up the American flag. The place goes wild. And everyone goes home happy. I love it. What a, what a great way to end a house show that is. That, that's really cool. Yeah. It, was a, it was a show that, you know, had great points. And, and it's really good that we had the audio, too, to kind of 
give people a little sense of uh, the buildup uh, for that match. Absolutely, and how important TV was back then. We're not talking about you know just like a SmackDown. You're saying, hey, SmackDown is what they're looking to sell. They weren't selling this back then. They weren't selling the TV show. They were selling the event at the Garden or at a mm-hmm. smaller arena, and that's why they were so important. And these promos with Captain Lou Albano really put people in the seats. You know, you want to go see Pedro, but you know, I don't know, maybe you're not a big King Curtis fan, but Captain Lou tells you King Curtis is going to take that belt. You got to go. Yeah. And then they would put Albano in the ring, too. I mean, after he'd, he'd always do something where he'd piss off Strongbow or, or bust Strongbow open on TV and then have a revenge match at the Garden. So Albano was a key figure in this era uh, for selling tickets and creating the hype. And you got to see it just because Albano is going to be bringing in this guy or that guy and the wizard. And then Blassie comes into the mix later on in 74. It's it was a, it was a formula that worked. For many years, I I couldn't I couldn't agree more, and I don't know why they don't do it more often. It's like even the Bobby Heenan. It was not Bobby Heenan. It was Heenan's army. You know, you're talking about mm-hmm. guys that used to bring whoever you brought in. If Albano had them, they go over. They go over a lot quicker when you have them. And the, the, the hype. You don't you don't need guys that can talk. Who needs a guy that can talk? Just be able to get in a ring. If you can get in a ring, I'll hype the match, and it worked so well. And they were really meticulous on who they paired up, like for the Wiz or Blassie, which Blassie handled the foreigners more more than anyone else, and and Albano with the crazy ones, and then he aligned himself with the Valiants, and it was magic. So yeah, I mean, it was a good. I mean, those three managers, uh, as Paulie dangerously or Paul Heyman uh, termed them, the wise men back then. Uh, they were they were amazing, and you know this particular show in April of 1972 was. Memorable for some of those moments, mostly the main event, Furpo getting over Strongbow so he could elevate himself to the main event the following month. And uh, it was a you know it was a show that I'm happy that we're able to cover 50 years later. Absolutely. How would you rate this card, John? Um, you know, not one of the best, but certainly not one of the worst. It was one right there in the middle, and right you know I was addicted at this point, so yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm going no matter who was there. If it was like Sky Low Low against Pedro Morales in the main event, I'm going. Uh, I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, I was hooked line and sinker. I'd go get on the train, go to the newsstand, buy 10, 15 wrestling magazines, watch the show. I, I, I was I was going every one It was in. I was like, that was it. That was all I look forward to every month was going to the garden. I love it. Next month, Pedro Morales will be taking on Pompero Furpo for the title, yes. which I, he, you love that guy. We love that guy. So hopefully we're looking yeah. forward to that. And yeah, 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 and that's when Strongbow faces uh, Albano. And that's when I take that bloody picture of him, which became the very first published picture I ever I ever uh, took. And, and speaking of Albano, real quick, um, with Albano, there's a show out right now called Young Rock. And I sent you a picture yeah. of the – they do a great job casting Young Rock. Yeah, and they, they did. And they did this great – casting job of a manager someone who looked like Lou Albano and it was Mm -hmm. so good that I sent you the picture because I was like oh my god so if you watch Young Rock and you see Lou Albano that's how he looked he looked exactly like that it was pretty amazing it was a a good resemblance it was really good it was really good and if you like the show which we hope you did please help us support the show we give it to you free every month because we want to do this but you can really help us out by joining our Patreon it's patreon.com slash John Rizzi you know you get this episode early you get you know it's a great companion piece to the podcast 
where we'd be throwing up different artifacts. You threw up that, uh, you had that uh, interview you did with Jimmy Valiant, uh, kind of did with Jimmy Valiant. He kind of let you do whatever you wanted to do. You put it, you, you put it in print. But anytime we get to talk about stuff on the podcast, we also try to put it on the Patreon. Yeah, and on the Patreon for this particular episode, we have that, uh, we have that uh, entire piece of the, uh, the, the interviews. And also there's the TV match with Furpo wrestling just the audio but it's kind of cool because he was going over big and of course next month when we get into that Albano Strongbow encounter you, you know that bloody photograph will be put up uh, for patrons as well for you to have awesome hey John if people want to get in touch with you uh, where can they find you on social media I'll let them go through you <laughs> no <I'm> kidding <laughs> If people want to get a hold of me, uh, if you want to send an email to me to get a question answered on this show or anything, if you'd like a copy of my book, for example, John at mattmemories.com, uh, social media, uh, Twitter at John Arezzi, Instagram at John Arezzi. We have a few groups on Facebook, one for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight uh, podcast and radio show. We have uh, two uh, groups, Matt Memories groups. One is a public group, one is a private group. Uh, so you could find me on social media and on YouTube. If you want to go on YouTube, it's uh, youtube.com slash Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Please subscribe to that. And also, please, if you don't mind, when you are, are listening to this podcast, go to Apple and please give us a five-star review because that means something. It really does. And people are starting to give the show reviews, which is really cool. And I think people are even starting to comment on it. Uh, and uh, that's kind of that's kind of cool. If you don't mind, I, I will uh, I will read uh, one of them. Oh, yes. So uh, it, it, a four-star review came in March 22nd. Okay. Of, of 2022, so it's current. Love this show. Absolutely love this show. The stories about the rules and being in New York at the Garden and Mr. Rezzi's, Rezzi's I can't even pronounce my, <laughs> my own name. name yet. And Mr. Rezzi's personal recollections are so interesting. I grew up in the 80s, and I'm still the biggest Hogan fan. I know about the 70s, but this show left me realizing I didn't really know about the 70s. I wish I could have experienced it as a kid, but this show kind of puts me right there. I'm from the South, but it's like reading a great book that has you feeling like you're at the garden. This is so important to keep the memories of this time alive. No telling how many fans you're making of the 70s. Can't wait for the next episode. All right, we're sending that guy a T-shirt. Do we have T-shirts? We don't have T-shirts. Okay, no, you you could make those up. We, we'll make those. That see, okay, that just made my day. It really just made my day. We so many times we come in here. It's just me, you and me, John, and then Richie jumps in, and we do these things, and we're wondering, you know, do people get this? You know, we have listeners and we have fans, but when you write a review like that, it really does mean a lot. And if you don't have time to write a review, if you just give the the five star rating and yeah. subscribe, subscribe to it. it I I got to tell you how much it means subscribe. to us. But also. Like when other people are looking up wrestling anywhere, if they're looking on wrestling on Apple or on Pandora and everything, they look up wrestling, our show will come up quicker if we get ratings, if we get five stars. So that's what we're asking for. So the more stars we get, the more reviews we get, the higher it goes, and the more people will get to hear it. And that's what it's all about. It really keeps us going when you're hearing these things. And, and we hear – what a nice letter to say because I don't know. I'm like that gentleman right there. I don't, I'm don't. i from the 80s, so I really didn't know much about wrestling. A lot of times you help me <laughs> with uh, nicknames like Miguel Cicluna instead of Miguel Cicluna. Um, and – 
you know, I, I'm learning as we're doing this, but and I hope that, like, I've always hoped that my questions to you are questions that other people have about what's yeah. going on because I'm curious. I didn't know that Monsoon was Pedro's manager. Who knew that? I didn't know that. It wasn't anywhere. But you, in learning this stuff and learning about how the garden was, the, the, the thing that always gets me about the garden when you talk about there were no railings around the garden. There was just like a, a, a thin uh, a rope of some kind, you know, where there was nothing there at this time. There was nothing. And then they eventually, uh, uh, I think probably at the end of 72, early 73, they started putting a railing around it. But at this time, there was nothing. You can run up right there and slap that ring and hit the turnbuckle. And and it was always fun. But yeah, please, I mean, uh, spread the word about it. Uh, rate it. We have a uh, an average rating now, Tim, of 4.9 on the show. So uh, one person uh, gave it a four-star review rather than a five-star review, and everyone else has given it five stars. We we appreciate the five stars. Once again, also, we want to thank a uh, big shout-out to Scott Teal. Uh, his book, Wrestling at the Garden, is our Bible. Yes, it is. It's uh, very much so our Bible. And Richie is, you know, who does the research for a lot of this, you know. I I create and I have the memories, and and but Richie is – great at the the antidotes the little the little notes that he uh, prepares for each one of these episodes it does help a lot it gives us a nice roadmap to where we want to go and a lot of times richie knows we go off the road a lot on this show and i hope people yeah. are enjoying that because that's what we do no i mean uh format wise uh, i'm all over the place i you know uh, it's better when it's conversation and you know as long as you touch upon all the facts and you cover the show and the matches and the atmosphere, we could talk about other stuff. We can talk about my dad printing newsletters and we could talk about other things uh, as we'll get into in the months that go by. I mean, you know, April, uh, this particular show from April of 1972, I mean, the next one is, I think, May 22nd, right? Yeah. So uh, you don't have that long to wait for the next episode. No, you don't. And also, speaking of other things, uh, how about you give a plug to your other podcast that just got released? The Fanagers, you can find that everywhere you get your podcast. And, of course, uh, the Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast and radio show is doing really well. Uh, we're right in the middle of April of 92 with my Russo breakup and, you know, all the other things that were happening, the financial hardships. But the guests kept coming, you know, from the Paulie Dangerous Disease of the World to the, the Cactus Jacks and the Johnny B. Beds and and so many others as and then we can start getting ready for uh, the 1992 week in a champions before you know it and we'll be getting into that uh before too long because that took place in august of 92 so there's a lot of exciting guests and a lot of recollections and a lot of memories with the pro wrestling spotlight podcast and radio show available everywhere absolutely um anything else john no i mean i really appreciate it tim we had a lot of fun today it was a good uh it was a good memory. I think the audio uh, also was kind of a special uh, little tidbit, a little extra bonus yep. for our listeners. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I hope everybody enjoys this one. Oh, absolutely. For John and Rizzi and Richie Garcia, I'm Tim Poutre. We'll see you next time. Yeah.